Chinese New Year. It's the year of the dragon, right? Good, good year of the rooster. Excellent. I got help on that one. <laughs> Let's just see. There it goes. Okay, we're good. Okay, great. Okay, today, uh, this, when I come back, if and when, you know, when I come back, and I have a few times I'll be coming back throughout the year, uh, we're going to be doing some foundational biblical principles that we're going to be learning about. And I think the first thing um, that you need to understand when you're talking about theology in general or your faith in general is you want to have it built on a firm foundation. Of course, that begins with the Word of God, right? Last time I was with you, many months ago, uh, I reiterated this quite often. Uh, I actually did a sermon on it in terms of the importance of Scripture. So I want you guys just to kind of raise your hand up. Anyone that brought a Bible today, or if you have your Bible on your phone that you use, that you use, now that you just have the Bible on your phone, but you actually do look at your phone, uh, use your phone to reference the Scriptures, just raise it up if you have Scripture in your hand in possession. So uh, remember, that's good, a few people. I think a few more than last time. And again, I just want to reinforce, reinforce for you the most important thing. Uh, as a Christian coming to church, the one weapon, right, because the Bible is referenced as the sword of the spirit. So for us, this is our spiritual weapon, right? It's not a physical weapon. It's not a literal weapon, but it's spiritual. And if you're coming to church, the one place that you should feel comfortable bringing the Bible, it should be to church. So uh, you need to bring your scriptures, right? Because that shows a lot about in terms of where you are spiritually. And Jesus, in Matthew 4, 4, which is really important to understand, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is a scripture that Jesus quoted to Satan when he was being tempted in the wilderness. And when Satan was tempting him, Jesus referenced the scripture. He's modeling for us as a great leader, how are we going to fight temptation? How are we going to remain strong in the Lord? You're going to have to rest your belief on the scriptures. This is Jesus himself modeling this. The scripture that Jesus quotes is right from Deuteronomy. So Jesus just doesn't tell us what we should do. He showed us what we should do. He modeled what we should do. So if you're coming to church without the scriptures, that might be an indication that you're probably not reading it much when you're home. And that, again, will be linked to your either spiritual strength or spiritual weakness as a Christian. So again, this is so critical. And now with phones, you can carry, really, you can carry the scripture around with you uh, every moment of the day. You can download some great apps where there are individuals reading the scripture to you. You could be at the bus stop, you could be waiting at lunch, wherever you are, at homeroom. You could be listening to the scripture constantly. And you need to be doing that to remain strong in this day and age. Because if you're not going to be a strong Christian, right, then, you know, we're not going to have a lot, a lot of light in this country. We need strong Christians, but you need to be relying on the Word. The Word is your source of uh, comfort. It's going to give you spiritual strength and spiritual vitality, and our Lord wants us to rely on that. So, having said that, and I will always kind of introduce the sermon that way until I see everyone raising their hands, bringing the Bible, right? Bringing the Bible because it will show me that you guys are serious Bible students. 
right? That you guys are reading the scriptures because how else are you spending time with the Lord? How are you making sure that your beliefs are correct if you're not grounding in scriptures? How do you know whether or not you're being deceived or not by media, by the internet, by your friends, by others, unless you're spending time in the scriptures as Jesus commands us to? So if you're going to have a strong a life of vitality, Jesus says you need physical food, but you need spiritual food as rooted in the scriptures. So the existence of God is really a foundation. It's a beginning kind of um, discussion or study uh, in theology. And we're going to, you know, again, any time I come here, we're just going to go to the next topic. Next time would be the personality of God. But this is a very important topic. And as you grow and get older and go into different levels of academia, your faith in God will be challenged. Uh, it will be challenged by professors. It will be challenged in books. It will be challenged in media. And so something that might seem very fundamental or maybe even something ele very elementary is actually very, very important as we're going to see today. So we're going to be talking about the existence of God and our foundational scripture is Psalm 14.1, which are our brother read to us earlier before, um, and we're going to be looking at that scripture as well. So the simple question that we're going to be looking at or beginning with today is where did everything come from? Now, as you're thinking about this question and thinking about the answer to this question, it's not just, this is not just a quiz. This is not just about, let's get the right answer, right? Uh, because you want to perform well on an exam. It's about what you believe, right? It's really about what you truly believe. And, we, you know, sometimes maybe some of you might be quick to answer a question, uh, but do you believe the answer that you're giving? Is that something that's really true for you, meaningful for you? Um, as you begin to dwell on this question, where did everything come from? I just want you to understand that the sermon in general is being, it's, it's kind of uh, overlaid with two main principles or spiritual principles, pride and humility. The scriptures that you were just listening to really deal with two major spiritual principles. One is pride and one is humility. And you're going to see that through this discussion. And it's constantly referenced both to those spiritual principles. Because we're going to be learning about two worldviews about, or that answer this question. And one is grounded on pride, and one is grounded in humility. And so you've got to figure out where you are on that spectrum, right? So where did everything come from? Well, there are two main views that are held by most people about the existence of the universe. And when we talk about the universe, we're talking about stars and planets and people and animals and everything that you see outside, right? And I do want to encourage you, even during the winter months, spend time outside, go for a hike, go outside. It's strange how we spend most of our time indoors. You spend eight hours a day in school. Maybe, you know, then you go to a sport. And maybe if you're playing basketball, you're still indoors. Then you go outside to get into your car. You're still kind of enclosed in some type of, you know, machine or some type. And then you get from your car into your house. I mean, think about that. Most of your time is being spent indoors, which is not a very healthy lifestyle, by the way. You want to try to spend time outside. And it's so important to really see the beauty that God made. Because God, as you know, originally created us to live, what, indoors or outdoors? He actually originally created us to be outdoors, right? But sin is what created what we see all around us, right? We weren't originally intended to be enclosed by ceilings and walls, no matter how beautiful the space may be, right? But nothing can compare to a blue sky. Would you agree with that? Nothing can compare with a beautiful day at the beach, right? Nothing can compare to that. And a man can't recreate that beauty, right? Only God can. But there's two main views that are held by most people about the existence of what we see around us. And again, I want you to kind of think about what do you 
truly believe, right? Do you truly believe that God, right, created all things? And again, I put that word theism because we are Christians, obviously, but we're just talking broadly speaking. And the definition for theism is just a belief in God, that God is the source of the universe, right? So God is credited with what we see around us, that this spiritual, supernatural, all-powerful, sovereign being created everything around us that we see, right? Now we know originally it was created that way, but we know that over time things are reproduced because if I ask you where you came from, you say, I have a mother and father, right? And you can go back and back and back, but who were the first human beings and where did the first human beings come from? A theist or a Christian, right, would say God. God is the source of all life, right? And what we see around us ultimately, though, even if things do reproduce, okay? Or if something is, you know, uh, again, um, something is birthed for something that's new. Another view is held by atheists or atheism. And atheism is the opposite of what we just talked about, right? Theism would say God created the universe. And atheists would say no God, Right? That God is not give, being given the credit for the creation because there is no God. So there are people that believe this. There are people that believe that you and the birds and the sky and the planets, the moon, the earth, the, the star systems did not originate with God because there is no God. So if, now if we dig a little deeper with atheism, I want you just to kind of look at this uh, quote uh, by a very famous atheist named Richard Dawkins who wrote the book The God Delusion. And he said, the fact that life evolved out of nearly nothing some 10 billion years after the universe evolved out of literally nothing is a fact so staggering that I would be mad to attempt words to do it justice. So you would have to think as a human being, or even as a Christian sitting here today, or if you're not a Christian, do your beliefs align to this type of thinking? And maybe it does, right? But I want you to kind of think about this that this morning. Because if you are someone who says, well, you know, maybe God didn't really make what I see around. Maybe God didn't make that blue sky and the earth. Maybe he didn't make the sun and the moon and the stars and human beings, at least Adam and Eve. Then, then, then you're kind of left with this sort of thinking. But this is where atheism takes you to, where you're making statements like the universe evolved out of literally nothing. Right? So it's just basically an accident from an explosion, right? And maybe you do believe that, but think about the ramifications of that type of belief. This is another way of looking at atheism or the belief that there is no God. The belief that there was nothing and nothing happened to nothing and then nothing magically exploded for no reason, creating everything, and then a bunch of everything magically rearranged itself for no reason whatsoever into self-replicating bits, which then turn into dinosaurs. Makes perfect sense, right? So this is, so you, some people would say you actually commit intellectual suicide when you become an atheist, because this, your thinking gravitates the, to this type of reasoning. And if you think about it, an atheist is somebody, or atheism teaches a very firm principle. There is no God, right? So a person who were to say that, right, if you think about it just logically, just if you think about it in a very simple way, is that a reasonable statement for a human being to make? Is it reasonable for a person who has never even left planet Earth <laughs> to say there is no God? 
That's an absolute statement. For you to actually reasonably say that, you'd have to be to the edge of the universe. How do you know that God? How do you know that he's not on another planet? How do you know that he's not even beyond this universe? Right? For you to say there is no God, you can't even make that statement. It's not even a reasonable statement to make because for you to make that, you have to know all things, don't you? You have to, have you been everywhere? Have you seen everything? Are, have you read every book? Right? Have you traveled across the universe? So, so I want you to think about atheism from that perspective, okay? And if you still feel drawn to this type of thinking, then hopefully, you know, as we progress through this sermon, perhaps your mind will change. So this would be an example of atheistic evangelism, right? Two people, they're firm in their beliefs, right? You're an atheist, they're going to promote their belief. Hi, we're atheists, they go to the door, the guy opens it up, right? It's blank, right? It's blank because what hope is there if you don't believe that there is a God? If you don't believe that there is God, then what hope do you actually have? See, people, and, and this is what's kind of interesting as well, because there are individuals like Richard Dawkins who are firm atheists, right? And I would even say that they're almost, even though they don't like God and they don't believe in God, in some ways I think they're obsessed with God because all they do is talk about how God doesn't exist. They can't even get the name God out of their mind, right? They just, they're so obsessed with, the, with denying the existence of God. But what's also interesting is that, you know, there are people out there who do believe in God, but they sort of live their life as a practical atheist. Now that's where you guys might fall into. I don't think there's necessarily any atheists here this morning, but there may be some practical atheists. And what do you think I mean by that? What do you think I mean by a practical atheist? Does anybody have any ideas? Yeah. Exactly. Say that a little louder. That's exactly right. Like, you know that, you know that God exists, but you still do whatever. Yeah. So, in other words, yeah, you asked me, you put me on the spot, Joe, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. But if you watch my life, this is what our, our what's your name? Uh, Grant. Grant. This is what Grant's saying. But if you watch my life, you'll say, his life does not exhibit any belief in the Lord. He does whatever he wants. He lives however he wants. He watches on the phone whatever he wants, right? He goes to whatever movies, listens to this, watches that, does this. So he lives his life as if there is no God. Very interesting. And that's what you guys have to be careful of as Christians. You might have all the language of theology about Jesus Christ and the Bible and God. But do your lives match your beliefs? Right? That's, that's, that's really the question. Are you living like a practical atheist? Saying, well, yeah, I know that God exists, but I do and I live and I think just like my unsaved friends. Right? So now you're not even living up to your beliefs. Right? So that's very, very interesting. Grant, uh, great way to explain it. So let's look at the in summary. So in summary, first thing, atheists do not believe that a divine spiritual creator made everything that we see and know. Now, you're free to believe this, right? I'm not, I'm not forcing you to believe anything. I'm just trying to teach you what different people believe. And, I, I, of course, I believe that there is a God, and I believe that atheism is not the correct way of looking at the universe. But I just want you to understand that if you do choose uh, to say, well, yeah, I'm an atheist, I really don't believe in God, well, then you have to agree with these statements, right? So what do atheists believe? Atheists do not believe that a divine spiritual creator made everything that we see and know. So what do they say? Well, it evolved, it came from nothing. Well, where did the moon come from? Nothing, it just happened. There was a big bang, but where did the big bang came from? Just happened, 
right? It really came from nothing. What's the source of all life? What's the origin of everything that we see? Well, just nothing, right? That's, how, that's where you go with this, right? So very, very interesting. Uh, another idea is that atheists believe the universe and you are essentially what? An accident, right? To me, that's sort of an accident. It, you know, and now I know that there's recent uh, uh, beliefs about, um, that are coming out from um, astrophysicists uh, uh, regarding uh, parallel universes, and they're getting even more science fiction and creative with how they you know, b- look at the world and the universe, but that you're an accident, okay? That came essentially from what? Ultimately, an explosion, correct? Isn't that what you're taught? Basically, Big Bang, an explosion created all life. Now, let me just ask you something. Um, when was the last time you saw anything created or made from an explosion? When they blow things up, what usually happens to that item or that person? Do they rematerialize into something better? Or are they worse off than they were? Right? So, I mean, in World War II, you learned about, probably you learned about the atomic explosions in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Did those atomic explosions create cars and create homes and create people and create dogs and create cats? No, it destroyed or create trees. It, what did it do? It just destroyed everything, right? So I don't know about you, but when, I, when explosions occur, usually people want to move away from the explosion. They want to not even be anywhere near it because it results in destruction. It results in, other words, death, not life. I don't know any explosion that has ever resulted in life, right? So that's just something for you to be thinking about. Uh, also, atheists would believe that there is no heaven or hell, so that there's no consequences for our actions here. There are people that live their life as, this is it. So I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die, and I'm going to just go into the ground. I've spoken to many individuals, especially people from China, who have this sort of view, that they say, you know, listen, this is it. This is the only life I have, and I'm going to make the most of it, because this is all I have. And I've even spoken to just regular, you know, again, people on the street when I've evangelized about what they believe about the universe and what they believe about where they came from. They believe this is it. I said, well, what happens when you die? They said, I just go in the ground. So there are people that believe that, and it's the belief, when people believe that or express that belief, it's rooted in this idea that they don't believe there's a God. Now, if you believe that there's no God, does that mean that that belief is true? Because I say there is no God, does that mean that God doesn't exist just because I say it or because I believe it? Absolutely not, right? Just because you believe that something isn't true doesn't mean it's not true, right? So just think that. Think about that for a minute. So no consequences for your actions here on earth. No consequences for beliefs, right? And you can see the ramifications for believing this, right? This is not going to necessarily mean that I'm going to treat you better. It's probably going to mean I'm going to be very selfish. I'm going to be thinking about myself. I'm not going to be thinking about you, right? Because I'm not accountable to anybody, right? Think about how you guys would live in your house if mom and dad were never around. I mean, literally never around. If like your home was like your boarding school, right? You could do whatever you want. And your mom, your mom and dad would just send you money. But you did whatever you wanted in your house. Do you think you guys would be the people you are today? No way, right? You guys wouldn't even be sitting here, right? Think about that, okay? So accountability is important. Another idea, atheists essentially believe all you have is now, right? That's it. So not very hopeful. It's not very hopeful, right? I mean, there are examples of philosophers like Jean-Paul Sartre and others who didn't believe in God. And you know how they ended their life? They ended their life with suicide. 
Because after they, after they enjoyed the pleasures of this earth, after they enjoyed money and sex and achievement and drugs, they begin to realize that life is kind of hopeless. If this is all that life is, and after I've experienced all that life says you should experience, these people winded up killing themselves because it was just a hopeless existence. There's got to be more to life than just a great steak, right? There's got to be more than just to life than just a great vacation or a great experience. There's got to be something greater. And unless you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, unless, unless you believe that he is the almighty God, there isn't going to be much hope in this life for you, right? Jesus Christ is what gives you hope. Jesus Christ is what gives you momentum to live this life with passion and fervor. But if you don't believe that, then there isn't much to this life other than what you see around you. And that gets kind of boring quick. So this is sort of the summary for atheism. So now, what does the Bible say about atheism? What is God's view about atheism, right? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 14:1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, which is very interesting, the word heart there. And it's, the, the fool is someone who's very unreasonable. The fool is someone who, who rejects knowledge, right? Um, it's not someone who's stupid necessarily, right? Sometimes we use that word in that kind of way. But it's almost like someone who's denying something that's true, right? So a foolish person could actually be someone with a PhD. A PhD could be a foolish person according to the scriptures. But look at this. Said in his heart there is no God. Now your heart is like your soul. It's your mind, your will, and emotions. And so what this is saying here is that a person, person who is an atheist, a person who says there is no God, right, is someone who has a heart problem more than just an intellectual problem. It's someone who has a moral problem. Now, sometimes people don't believe in God because they don't want to be accountable for their actions. Like, why, why are there some individuals that don't want to become Christians? Because they don't want to necessarily change their lifestyle. They know as a Christian, I have to stop doing all the things that are sinful that I enjoy, right? Even though they're enjoying sin for a season, I know if I have to commit my life to Jesus Christ, I have to make different choices. I have to make different decisions. I have to stop doing these things that are wicked, even though they make me feel good for a moment. I've got to reject that. And some people don't want to change their lifestyle. And so that's why some people say, hey, listen, I'm not going to kind of believe in this God thing. I'm going to kind of just do what I want to do. Or some young people come into the foolish thinking that, well, I'll, I'll get serious about God later. You know, I'm young and I want to kind of live my life now. And, I, I, and I'll worry about this God stuff and Bible stuff later, you know, when I'm 30 or 40. Then I'll get serious. But in the meantime, I kind of just want to live my life, right? That's a faulty way of thinking. And I hope you guys are not thinking that way or embracing that thinking. Because you could be dead tomorrow, right? As, 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 as morbid as a thought like that is, and I don't want you necessarily to dwell on it, but it's a thought, right? Isn't it foolish for me to think, oh, 10 years, 10 years from now I'll serve God. I could be dead tonight, <laughs> right? The Bible says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. You need to serve God now and serve him passionately and serve him fervently. You don't want to be someone who says a fool said in his heart there is no God, right? You want to be committed to the Lord now and not later, right? Because guess what? If you keep pushing off God, you're really pushing off the Holy Spirit. And maybe when you get to 40 or 50, you won't even, you'll, you'll, even, you'll be worse off than you were when you were in your teens or in your 20s. I knew a kid from college one time. 
um, when I became a, a Christian and really started serving the Lord in college, I stopped doing a lot of the bad things like drinking and doing bad things that I was doing. And a friend of mine who I was trying to evangelize and share the Lord with, he was like, well, listen, you know, I'm going to worry about this God thing later. Right now I'm in college. I want to enjoy myself. I'm going to just party hard now, but eventually I'll stop. Do you think he ever stopped? No, right? His partying continued after college and beyond, right? It, it didn't stop, right? So you have to be very, very careful. So if God is speaking to you today by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's putting his hand on your life, and he wants to do, wants to do something with you now, say yes to the Holy Spirit now. Don't put off the Holy Spirit for later, because his voice might not be as strong later as it is now when he wants to use you. And God can use you guys in such powerful ways to influence your friends. I mean, how many people do you come in contact with every week that don't really believe in God, or they're not even concerned about God, or they do believe in God, but they live like there is no God? And how many people could you actually influence to share the love of Jesus Christ with and point them to Scripture? And they're just slipping through your hands like a pile of sand at the beach that you pick up and just falls through your hand. One day you're going to be accountable for that, as well as I am. right? We're going to be accountable for those missed opportunities. And God is going to deal with you very sternly as he's going to deal with me. right? It's a fearful thing to stand before the Lord. He's a consuming fire. You don't really think that you're going to stand before God and he's just going to say, come on in. He's not going to question you about anything. He's not going to ask you anything. You don't really believe that, do you? Right? That's like you coming in late at night and your parents just like giving you a high five and you go upstairs. Aren't your parents going to ask you, where were you? What were you doing? I told you to come back at 10. You came back at 12. What's going on? Right? Wouldn't, your parent, wouldn't a good parent do that? You don't think God's going to ask you what you did with his time and his money and his talent that he gave you? All of your intellectual genius that you guys have, all the musical talent that you guys exhibit? Will God ask you about that? How you used your talents for him? Will he not hold you accountable? 100%. Right? And if you think it's scary to stand before your parents or stand before a principal or stand before someone more, you don't think it's going to be scary standing before God? Right? So that, and the Bible says the fear of the Lord will lead you away from evil, by the way. Right? It's very important. Okay, so now let's look at what theism is all about. We kind of touched upon it. Uh, so the Bible says, let's look at theism, which is the belief about God. The Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heaven. Right off the bat, you read the Bible for the very first time. You open this book. What is this book about? You get right to Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven. That's, that, that's what you end up with. So the Bible takes the existence of God for granted. The Bible assumes the existence of God. And you see it within the very first verse. And if you keep reading, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven, which we read before, and the earth. So what we read right off the bat is, where did the universe come from? What does the Bible say? The Bible says, God did it. God did it. That statement, Genesis 1-1, destroys atheism right off the bat. It destroys evolution right off the bat. It destroys uh, poly polytheistic religions right off the bat, like Hinduism. It destroys religions like Buddhism as well. Why? Because in the very first verse of the Bible, it's crediting all life to God. Not gods, God. Not nothing, God. So God is given the credit for everything that we see, and you see it within the first verse of the Bible. 
So it's very, very important to understand that. In fact, the Bible goes even further. In Colossians 1, 6, you see this, by him. Well, who is this God that made all things? Jesus Christ. Now we know in John 1, 1, that it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of John, it says, and the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is God's human name. What was God's, what was Jesus Christ's divine name before he became Jesus Christ? It was called the Word. He was called the Word. The Word is the name of the pre-existence Christ. Does that make sense to you? I know sometimes people get a little confused with this. But essentially, by Jesus Christ, all things were created. Look at this. For by him were all things created. So what we just read in Genesis 1-1 is connected to Jesus in Matthew, right? Or here in Colossians, what Paul is writing. So think about that. So Jesus Christ, the one I worship, is the one, as the word, created all things that we see around us. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So the invisible, I think, is not just talking about spiritual things, though it is. It's also talking about things that you see in the microscope. Isn't there a micro uh, biological world beyond our naked eye that we need instruments to see with? Well, there, it, there is, right? There's a whole world right, in the, right here, right, in, in food or, or, or in cells that we don't even see, but Jesus Christ is credited with creating that as well. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. So God, Jesus Christ, is the source of all things and for him. Interesting. So I shouldn't be living my life as it's just for me, I shouldn't be living my life selfishly, only thinking about me. Why? Because I was created for God, for worshiping Him, serving Him, giving glory to Him. One, you know, asking, well, God, what do you want me to do? What is your will? So it's a totally different mindset when you start believing that God's and believing in God's existence and crediting everything that you see around you to him. So evidence for God. Let me give you three main arguments that you can kind of walk away with if you're ever in a conversation or a debate, or even if you get into this season of doubt. You might read a book one day and be like, oh, I'm kind of doubting this thing about God. Maybe you, maybe you hear a really good argument as to why really God is not the, the, the reason for everything that you see around you. You may end up like that. I hope that you'll turn to scripture for, for that dilemma or that to solve that doubt. But there may be times when you might come into this season of doubt. Well, I want to give you three great arguments for believing in God so that if you ever get into that season of doubt or if you're with someone who's kind of throwing up certain arguments to your questions that you find troubling to answer, that you can point him to these three firm arguments, or her to these three firm arguments. So there are some great arguments for believing in God. I'm only going to give you three. There are actually more, a lot more. But I'm just going to give you the three main ones. The first one that we've been talking about up to this point is really the scriptural argument. right? This is an argument for the existence of God. Well, how do you know God exists? Well, I have a book that talks about the existence of God. I have a book that talks about and describes this creator. I have a book that shows how this creator has involved himself in the lives of people, specifically the nation of Israel, right? Book after book, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, you are seeing that we are not alone in the universe, right? That there is this divine creator, this sovereign being who not only controls things and guides things, but also is filled with 
mercy and compassion and love, right? So there's a scriptural argument for the existence of God. The person who accepts scripture will readily acknowledge the existence of God. You give someone a Bible for the very first time, they're going to read the beginning. And in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, they'll say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So, so powerful. So, argument. Second argument that we can talk about is from conscience. And you sort of saw that in Romans. And we're going to turn for a minute back to Romans, which our brother read before. And in Romans, we read this really powerful portion of scripture. And I want you just kind of to pay attention to this for a minute. In uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 19, we read this. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Talking about the conscience. Talking about this internal awareness that God exists. For God has shown it unto them. So not only is there this kind of conscience or internal awareness of God that you're born with, but it's also connected to this idea that empirically you know that God exists. And that goes into our next argument, but I'm not going to jump to that yet. But let's just talk about this for a minute. The argument from conscious. Man was born with a universal belief in a supreme being. Most people in the world believe in some type of higher being. Now, you may not agree with their kind of higher being, whatever higher being they come up with, but most people in the world are not actually atheists. Atheists actually represent a very small portion of the human population. So whether uh, you're from the Jewish background, whether you subscribe to Judaism or Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or Christianity, all of these faith systems or religious systems believe in the existence of God. Even if you go to some more other different religions, like uh, religions that are founded by Native Americans, they believe in a great spirit. So again, where did this belief come from? How is it that billions and billions and billions of people think about that they are accountable to something that they don't see, but something that they're giving credit for, for what they see. It's very interesting, right? So it's almost like you have to be taught not to believe in the existence of God. It's almost like atheism, with atheism as a strict academic belief, you almost have to be taught that. Because most people aren't coming up with that. Most people believe in something greater than themselves, which is very fascinating. Right? So you've got to be careful sometimes what you're being taught. Right? So very, very interesting. Now, we know from what we just talked about earlier is that the real challenge that you guys are struggling with is going to be practical atheism. You guys, some of you might be some practical atheists here, where you might say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you don't follow him. You might say, yeah, I believe in God, but you don't read the scriptures. Right? You just listen to whatever I'm saying. None of you are even checking what I'm saying, right? Because you can't, don't even have the scriptures to check it with, right? So, again, some of you might be living as practical atheists. And that's a very dangerous p- place to be in. And, and you need to really kind of either confess your sin for that and change that if that's where you're, you're leading. But here, argument from conscience. So man is born with a universal belief in a supreme being. No tribe has yet been discovered that lacks this. In other words, there are no genuine atheists. In Romans 2.15, we say, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or excusing one another. So if we go back to Romans again, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. It's almost like you don't even have to be taught 
to believe in God. So there's this general revelation that people have given to them by God of his existence, which is so powerful, right? Now the scriptural argument is so important because that gives us that special revelation of Jesus Christ and the specifics of what we need to know as believers. But then look at this also. So it says, for God has shown it unto them. So not only does God give this internal belief, because let's say, for example, that you, you, know, you live in this cave, right? You can know that God exists. But when you come out of that cave, now God actually shows you the evidence for his existence, right? There is so much evidence. That's why I want you to spend more time outside. There's so much evidence for the existence of God. There are things that I've seen at the beach that, how do you explain it? The beauty of a sky, the beauty of trees, uh, the fall and the spring and the winter and snowflakes. I mean, there is so much beauty. How do you, how do you say that that just happened by accident? How do you not credit that with a higher being, right? And that goes to our final argument that I want to end with today is the argument from design. So there are three arguments, main arguments that you can either believe yourself and reference yourself or actually share with others for the existence of God. There's the scriptural argument for the existence of God. Scripture after scripture talking about how God is the source of all life. Jesus Christ is the creator. There is the argument from conscience that you know internally that there's something greater than you. You know internally that there's gonna be a day of judgment. You know internally that there's someone greater than your parents and greater than the president that you're gonna have to answer to, right? So that's the argument from conscience. And then there's argument from design. An examination of the world and the things large and small shows that each is designed by an intelligent mind for a specific purpose in life. Look at this, if we go back to Romans. It says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. So you can't die and go to heaven and stand before God and say, God, I never knew you existed. He'll say, remember that sun you saw in the sky and the moon at night and those beautiful stars at night and the beach and the animals and, and the trees and the flowers and the beauty and the complexity? I showed you I existed. I just didn't tell you I existed. I showed you. That's why a lot of people say that nature is the second Bible, right? We have the written revelation, then we have this visual revelation, right, of nature. How can you study nature and not come to the conclusion that God exists or that there's a higher being? There are some of you that are learning biology and earth science and physics and chemistry. Some of you, can't, some of you understand what you're reading and some of you still don't know what you're reading about, right? And that's why you need your teacher, teachers or tutors. And you're telling me that that was just by an accident? That was just an accident. Some of you barely understand physics. But what you learn from all those subjects is beauty. And you, you learn complexity. And you learn that, boy, things are much more difficult than I give them credit for, right? And so in many ways, when you're learning those subjects, you're learning about the creator. You're studying what God made. That's why learning is so important in school and so important because you're actually studying his creation. Because he showed it unto you. And now you're studying it but you're really learning about God. You're studying what he made and what you learn from pre-calculus and calculus is, boy, the world is sophisticated and difficult. Now you're getting into a contact with the mind of God, right? Isn't that powerful stuff? So listen to this. For the invisible things, verse 20, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
It's so clear that he exists. It's unbelievable. You have to convince yourself that he doesn't. But you can just look outside and know, wow, who made that? Where did this come from? It must be an amazing, intelligent mind that created all the things I see. Where did that blue? That just happened by accident. Isn't that, I mean, that, does that make sense? That's why the Bible says in Psalm 14, when the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. So it's clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Right? It's so clear. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You can even see the Trinity through the through what you see, you can understand the Trinity. That there's something more than uh, you know, just accidents that is the source for everything that you see around us. So let's just look at a watch, for example, right? Let's just kind of take this, all right? So this is a nice watch, beautiful watch. The very fact that it exists implies that there is a what? A watchmaker. Right? Someone made it, right? It implies. I mean, look at the detail. Look at everything that this made. Maybe a machine made this ultimately. Maybe it was handmade. But someone made the machine that made this. But, uh, but essentially, when you look at this, it implies somebody or something made it. Right? If I said to you, look at this. It just appeared out of nowhere. Nothing, nothing made It just happened. It just happened. It's just an accident. Well, think about this little device and then think about you as a person. Think about you as a human being. Do you think your complexity as a human being happened by accident? Never. Right? Look at the eyeball, for example. Look at all the different parts of the eye. The pupil, the cornea, the eyelid, right? The optic nerves. Look at the complexity of this eye. You could spend your whole life just studying the eye, right? and becoming an eye surgeon, and just learning about the eye, and being obsessed with the complexity of the eye. And it's a miracle. It's unbelievable. How did this happen by an explosion? How did this happen without the existence of God? Just the eyeball we're just talking about, right? Someone made this. Someone made the original eye, right? Someone designed this. It's unbelievable, right? Look at your... Fingerprint, for example. Do you know that you guys are all carrying around your own ID card? You know, when you go into school, you go somewhere like, where's your ID? Really? That's all you need, right? And we know we have biometric systems now, and they're developing with eye scans and fingerprint scans. Some supermarkets actually do that now, where your account is linked to your fingerprint. But your fingerprint and my fingerprint are completely unique. Mine is not like yours. Yours is not like mine. So God designed everybody with their own ID card. Isn't that amazing to think about? Just, just look at your fingerprint. Just think about something as simple as a fingerprint is your own ID card that's unique to you. And that happened by just an accident, by the way. That just happened. Nobody designed that. That just happened. Think about that, right? See, it shows you how amazing God is. How incredible he is. How brilliant, beyond brilliant that the Lord is. That Jesus Christ made this fingerprint of mine. That's pretty powerful. That's unbelievable, right? Look at snowflakes. I love snowflakes. Uh, sometimes, like in the morning, I'll go out and I'll look at the windshield after it might be some flurries. But look at the complexity of this. Just a snowflake. How many snowflakes fall in a year? Like trillions, probably, right? Trillions, right? Who knows? Trillions fall every year. 
and they're all unique. None are the same. They're all a little bit different configurations, but look at the beauty of that. To me, that design implies a designer, right? And I want to learn more about that designer. Who is that designer? Right? So you might say, wow, someone made this, God made this, but which God? And that's why the Bible was given to us, to give us the specifics, so that we could have the proper understanding of the Lord. Right? Because God doesn't want us to worship the creature or the creation. He wants us to worship the creator. And that's what the second commandment's all about. The second commandment's all about not bowing down to the creature, not turning God into an idol. Because some people went into that thinking, right? And the Israelites did that. After the Lord removed them from bondage, what did they do? They set up a golden calf and they began to worship an idol, a creature, giving the creature the credit for the creation. That's why the Bible reading is so important because it centers your thinking on the right God. Amen? Just look at this. I have on my phone a lot of just nature photos. A lot of photos I just see every time I see a beautiful sunset. I mean, this isn't one of them, but, uh, or a beach. I always go to the beach a lot. And every time I see something just beautiful, or even in fall with the colors, I'll just take a picture of it. And again, it's so clear to me that God is so amazing, so unbelievable that, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's almost like you just you don't have words to express how incredible God is. But you get a glimpse of that, as we see from Romans, by what he made, right? So the argument from design, I think, is such a powerful argument to convince yourself that there's a God or to convince other people that they're not alone, that there is someone much, much, much greater than themselves. So finally, as we kind of conclude this discussion about the existence of God, I want you to kind of just think about this for a minute. If you're an atheist and there is no God, then how do you even explain the resurrection? How do you explain that? I mean, it's so dangerous, the belief of atheism, because it leads you just to doubt everything. I mean, you might as well just throw this away. That's what an atheist would want you to do. An atheist would want you just to throw this book away. Because if there is no God, then how do you explain the resurrection? Because if there is no God, then there's no hope for eternal life. Like in Jesus Christ, I have hope. I have hope beyond this life that there's something greater than what we see. So in summary, let's close with these final thoughts. It is reasonable. I hope that you got to see that. It is reasonable to believe in God. It's unreasonable to not believe in God, right? That's very unreasonable. It's so reasonable to believe in God. It's so simple, right? Second concept. There is too much evidence all around us to deny God's existence. We have the scriptural argument, evidence. We have the conscience argument, evidence. We have the design evidence to substantiate that God exists. It is foolish, in other words, to deny God's existence. Just as the Bible says, Psalm 14.1. The fool has said in his heart, in his mind, in will and emotions, there is no God. And finally, as we conclude, Jesus is more than just a man. He is God. We see that in Colossians. The creator in human flesh.
pretty amazing stuff. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you so much for giving us knowledge of your existence. We thank you, Lord, for the scriptural argument. We thank you for this book, the Bible. Lord, what an incredible you know, volume of knowledge about your existence, about how you are the creator, that you made everything that we see around us, Lord. And it humbles us, Lord. God, it humbles us to know that we're not really in control, but you are. And it humbles us to know that we're not alone, but that you are in charge of this universe and that you are the source for all life. Forgive us for ever being prideful to think that science has all the answers for where things came from. We know where they came from. And the import of science is that it helps us just to know and understand more deeply what you actually made. And so, Lord, we thank you for that truth. We thank you, Lord God, for the fact that you made us to believe in you, in our conscience. Every human being has a conscience that says there is a God. And Lord, finally, we, we thank you so much that you have shown us clearly by what has been made that there is a designer. And may we always elevate you, God, putting you first. May we never worship a creature. May we never say this thing made God or this principle or formula or theorem or theory is the, is, is, is the credit or source of God. For you are greater than all those things. And Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you for this truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus took on the sins of the world, paid for those sins on the cross, was buried, and then rose again on the third day. And that promise of eternal life is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that hope that as Christians we have a hope that we will live again. We have a hope that there is someone greater than us taking care of us and loving us. And one day that we will stand before and give an account. But we thank you, Lord God, for this knowledge, this hopeful existence as Christians. Bless these young people, Lord. May they spend time in your word. May they listen to the Holy Spirit. May they be strong to remember these arguments for your existence, the scriptural argument, the argument from conscience, and the argument from design. And may they be bold to share this in class or to their friends when there are doubts about your existence. Because we never can or should forget Psalm 14.1, which says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.